0: To Hard Rock's Vote Yes campaign, some West Springfield residents are launching an anti-casino campaign. A news conference is planned for tomorrow morning, but tonight, 22 News spoke with Nathan Beck about why he started this Vote No initiative. He told 22 News his biggest concern with, is with the possibility of having a casino on the Biggie fairgrounds and the increasing rate of crime. Because of addiction, because of crime, because of traffic, because it's going to hurt local businesses, uh, because it's going to reduce our property values, you know, these are all reasons to keep a casino as far away from our town as possible.
1: You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome back. Uh, This week, I've got a special guest from Springfield, Massachusetts, Stephen Schultes. Uh, Steve and I uh, got to know each other uh, digitally online uh, through the the Strong Towns blog and work he does at Rational Urbanism. And I was actually kind of uh, honored to uh, be able to post some stuff that his daughter did uh, a few weeks back. She did a, a really fantastic video. That we posted on our Sid TV site. So uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about some casino stuff going on out in Massachusetts. Uh, Steve, welcome to the Strong Towns
0: podcast. Hey Chuck, thanks for having me. I am so excited to be here.
1: Well, we're excited to have you. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I am just naturally skeptical of the big project, uh, the silver bullet kind of big thing that comes in. But you've made me aware now of this casino thing going on in Massachusetts. And uh, it, it is a rather kind of, uh, let's say, interesting new variant on the same old theme. Uh, why don't you, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about Massachusetts kind of flirting with casinos now and the decision to, uh, to go all in and, and build, invite a new, uh, a new player into the state?
0: Yeah, I was going to say if this is flirting, I went to the wrong high school because <laughs> they're I think they're 100% in on this. I think for years the state had flirted with the casino issue because Connecticut is so close and they have two of the world's largest and most successful casinos and you know Massachusetts lawmakers were looking at about a billion dollars a year of Massachusetts revenue going into Connecticut and saying, you know, we can take the moral high ground, but that right. billion dollars is still going to Connecticut every year. Right. And so, after I think at least three or four years of coming close to enacting casino legislation, they um, they finally decided this year on a bill. Or you know, it wasn't this year. It was actually a couple years ago. But it's part of the process now that's moving forward. And as part of that, uh, here in Springfield what was significant to us is that they decided that there would be at least one what they term resort casino in western Massachusetts and that includes uh the four counties that are the most the westernmost counties in the state. And the idea is that every community could bargain with any casino developer and decide on any one proposal that they wanted, or they could completely opt out. But in the end all those communities that voted for in favor of uh, casino development would then send that proposal to the state, and the state gaming commission would choose one
1: to be built. Sure, sure. So right now we're at a point there in Massachusetts where in the western part of the state you've got these three different locations. You've got an application by Hard Rock in West Springfield, uh, an application by MGM in Springfield, and then an application by Mohegan Sun. Is that how you say that? Yeah,
0: Mohegan Sun.
1: Mohegan Sun in Palmer. Um, the, those are the, – the, the thing that interested me when you sent this to me is how radically different, uh, especially that, uh, that, uh, that MGM and the Mohegan Sun applications are.
0: Uh, yeah, how radically different they are, and I think one more thing before we move forward yeah, yeah. is the idea that because I think this is really important because I, I get that anyone who listens to Strong Towns <laughs> is going to be skeptical about anything that includes a casino. Right. I mean, I think that the the the, the uh, if you had a Venn diagram, you know the the interconnecting set there between, say, James Howard Kunstler fans <laughs> and Strong Towns listeners yeah. is probably huge. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's, just it's, it's antithetical, and I get that. On its face, it's antithetical to everything Strong Towns stands for, Right. and it just seems wrong. I mean, and I'm going to tell you that right up front, my initial reaction was, you know, the state legislature should have the courage to say to the people of Massachusetts, this is what it costs to run a government. This is what you're going to have to pay. Uh-huh. And if you don't want to do the, you know, one of those two things, then we either have to make some cuts on one side, or we're going to have to raise taxes on the other. Right. There's no such thing as a free lunch, if you don't mind me quoting Milton Friedman. Totally. It, I mean, that's a, I, that was my feeling initially. Yeah. But the situation we're dealing with, first of all, is, you know, it's like if... if you know, I have a broken leg. You know, one of the treatment options is just to, to not say, "Oh, I don't want a broken leg." Right. You know. So this is happening.
1: Well, let me ask there you is this: There's
0: going to be a casino. Yeah, yeah. In the western part of the state.
1: Let me ask you in a big picture so, sense: sure. Do you guys have a state? Sure. Do you guys have state lottery there? yeah we do okay so you've you've gone down that path I mean we have that too we we 've got this here in minnesota we 've got the state lottery we 've got the uh the Native American gaming casinos uh there's no revenue that comes to the state uh for those um, but you know we 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 went down that path a, a long long time ago. I actually did an internship at the at the legislature where I worked for This group called the Legislative Commission on Minnesota's Resources. They were the ones who would spend the portion of the lottery money that was allocated towards environmental projects. One of the ways we got ours passed was there was this whole campaign of, well, we'll use the money for good. you know We'll use the money for wetland mediation and all this stuff. So a a small portion of it goes to that. And I uh, worked a little bit for that. And they had a sign inside. It was kind of, I thought it was hilarious. But it said, the lottery is a tax on those who are not good at math. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right, right. Right, I've heard it called I've heard it called just a tax on the stupid. Right, Except precisely. Yeah. You know, I mean and I, that's much less polite. And right. my daughter's boyfriend is from Minnesota. Oh, okay. So I totally get the I totally get the politeness thing.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, so but but you know, being an East Coast guy, you know, it's a tax on the stupid. Right. And I get that. Well and it, I, I do. But but again, that decision's already been made. Sure. And so there's gonna be a casino and when in this region and when you look at it. It, not just in the region, but when you live in the city of Springfield, as I do, all of the three remaining proposals are within 10 miles of my house. Okay. Yeah. You know, one yeah. happens to be a block from my house.
1: Right.
0: The other a mile from my house, and the other, you know, 10 miles from my house. But so it, it's going to happen around here. So right. we have two of the world's largest casinos about an hour away, and there's going to be a casino in the region. So, you know, a discussion of, you know, how casinos work and the fact that they're extractive Yeah, yeah. you know it's interesting yeah. and it allows someone to pontificate right but the bottom line is it's happening so so that's the kind of thing that because i know for strong for a lot of strong town listeners you know they might think well i'm not even gonna listen to this because i real i know what casinos are i know how they work and this is just ridiculous click right you know but i think the important thing to realize is it's just this when you look at the difference between these proposals It's amazing. And when I look at just the possibility that – and the possibilities that it brings, not just to the region, but frankly, to the core of a struggling New England industrial city, which, you know, which again, as we talk about this, people are going to realize it's not what they think it is. It's it's this. the differences are amazing. Which one do you think we should start with?
1: Well, let's – I think, you know, the West Springfield one – I just, in looking at them, and I, I think you share this with me too, it's of the three, it's probably the least viable and the least interesting. So I'd actually like to talk about the Palmer one first uh, to kind of sure. set up, because I, I think the twist here is going to become in the one that's a block from you. Uh, and the Palmer one will maybe kind of reaffirm what people think about the big casino, because it seems to me like, you know, that's kind of the the, the standard approach and maybe what you see right across the border. So you want to start with Palmer?
0: Sure. So again, Palmer's a town about 10 miles outside of Springfield. It's right on the Massachusetts Turnpike. And it's, and it's not far from an interstate connector, which goes North and South as well. I think it's route 84. Yeah. So there is no, um, the, there, there's an exit. If anyone knows the Massachusetts Turnpike, because it's a toll road, there are, there are not a lot of entrances and exits.
1: It's actually a um, road, just right? a
0: few. <laughs> right, exactly. No, 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 right. It's a road. It's to get from one place to another. You don't stop along the way. And it's not even like a traditional interstate, say, 91 here in Springfield, where you might have an exit, you know, in the city, you have an exit every, you know, quarter mile or so. Right. You know, it, this is, you know, this is, uh, I'm probably way off because you're a traffic engineer. It might be a half mile, but yeah. there's just a lot more on and off. Well, the bottom line is for the Palmer uh, proposal, the one exit that's there isn't large enough, and so right from the beginning, it's a, it's a greenfield development. And I, I sent you the photograph, of right? The you know the aerial photograph of where it's going to go, and it's it's in the woods. They're literally going to have to. Uh, tear down just acres and acres of woods and put in this huge billion-dollar development. There's no infrastructure there. They're already talking about having to bring in water from a neighboring town. They're going to have to not just redo the exit off the turnpike, but they're, they're discussing whether to create an independent flyover to just go in to the Mohegan Sun development, which seems like it's not possible because of the rules. Right. So what they're going to have to do is take this town, which only has a population of about 12,000, and they're going to have to create the infrastructure to bring in, you know, about 12,000 people a day, which is what they're estimating on the best days this place is going to bring in. Yeah. And, you know, it's a huge pod, and I think it is, you know, on a, I'm not a big casino person. Sure. You know, I've I've been to the ones in Connecticut a couple times just to see concerts. Right. You know? Right. But I think for people who like casinos, you know, I think this is this is the kind of thing they're looking for. It's you, you pull in, you park, and everything is in this gigantic pot. There's going to be a water park, the casino itself, a hotel, the restaurants, the bars, and whatever retail stores. And you know, I looked at the walk score for the neighborhood, as it were.
1: <laughs> yeah. That it's yeah.
0: going to go in, and it's in the low thirties. Sure. You know, so nobody, nobody's going to walk there. Right. The, the people that work there aren't going to walk there. Right. There aren't enough people in the community where it's going to provide the workforce, so people are going to have to come in from all over. Most of them are going to come in on the interstate. You know, all of them are going to drive. I don't think there's any public transit that services right. the area unless you're willing to walk three or four miles. So, I mean, it is exactly what you imagine a casino development to be it is a giant pod where you go in you do everything you're going to do inside the casino and you leave and you go home right this is the most of you with less money some of you with a little bit more
1: yeah it's a very much a greenfield development Are, are they are they trying to uh say that you know they're going to do lead stuff and make it environmentally friendly and all that
0: um, they haven't focused on that, okay. that, that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think what they've, what they've tried to say, what they've tried to play up, as you can see up in the middle of the city, or as you can hear, I don't know if you hear the uh, That's great. fire trucks in the background.
1: Well, we're going to have, um, a, the train is going to go by here pretty soon. So we'll, we'll get that
0: off. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love when the train goes by here too. It just makes me, makes me feel like I am someplace. Yeah. Precisely. Um, which shows the kind of weird people we are. Yeah, totally. But I think, you know, I, I think that they haven't focused so much on that as they have on the idea that it will be a development that will be able to compete with the casinos in Connecticut because they're identical. And as a matter of fact, again, one of the two casinos in Connecticut that takes the billion dollars out of Massachusetts is Mohegan Sun. Yeah. So if they go with the Palmer plan, it's essentially trusting Mohegan Sun to compete with Mohegan Sun to keep Massachusetts dollars in Massachusetts. Right. That's, I don't really, you know... I, that's the I interesting like that's thing. Not, yeah. You're not interested really in that at all. But no. I mean, to me, it just seems kind of quirky. Well, it is
1: kind of quirky because, you know, evidently they must believe that, you know, either if there's a competitor, they're going to lose the revenue so they can they can keep it here, or, you know, that there's enough, uh, enough action, in a sense, to go around. I mean, I, I've seen... I, one of the things here in my hometown that I find fascinating is that the major, during, in our major, strode through town. The uh, the gas stations have the exact same franchise on the opposite sides of the road. So you'll have uh, we have Super America and Holiday here. You'll have a Super okay. America and Holiday on the west side of the road, and then on the east side of the road you'll have a Super America and a Holiday. You know, basically like right across the highway from each other, and. You know, evidently there's enough, uh, you know, enough market share to justify four stores or, you know, you're going to, uh, I guess, lose out to your competitor if you're not in both places. So to to me, it seems like you're spreading the, the, the butter a little too thin on the same piece of bread, but there must be some economic sense to it.
0: Oh, and I'm sure that to me for Mohegan Sun, I think it makes perfect sense. You can block the market. And, and, but what I wonder is from the perspective of the state of Massachusetts. Right. If really, to Mohegan Sun, it isn't going to matter if someone goes to their.
1: Yeah, Mo- Mohegan Mohegan Sun in
0: Connecticut or Massachusetts. Exactly. And if they've already invested three times as much in Connecticut, you know, what's going to be their motivation if times get tough? Right. To focus on drawing people into Palmer. But again, you know, to me, the casino side of this is the least interesting because I think, as you said, the. It's the MGM plan in Springfield, which is just, in its, in it, on its face, bizarre. I don't know if you want to talk any more about Palmer. Well,
1: Palmer, we've, we, I think we've kind of laid the groundwork here. We've got the huge, big resort casino complex out in the middle of the Greenfield off of the, the toll road interchange. And so, you know, you've got a, a small town that's going to be inundated with all this new growth, all this new infrastructure, all this new investment. Let's contrast that then with Springfield, and let, let's start by, if you wouldn't mind, describe Springfield a little bit for us, so we kind of understand, uh, you know, what what Springfield is like today, uh, to be pondering this project.
0: Sure. Well, first of all, describing Springfield is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> so, feel, so, so feel free to shut me up. Okay. You know, at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's. It's a, a struggling northeastern, formerly industrial city, which um, still has the core of an incredible uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The architecture is mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, the, unfortunately, what's happened is since, say, 1970, the population has gone from almost 190,000 down to 155,000. Having said that, it stabilized about 15 years ago. Okay. So it's been steady at about 155,000 since then. And it's also a place where as I like to say, if you look at all of the all of the shifts that have taken place in the United States over the last 50 years, they've all been bad for Springfield. People have moved from north to south, from east to west, yeah, and from the cities to the suburbs. Right. And all three of those things have been bad for the city. Yeah. And what happens now is because we're the because we're the largest city in the region, this is where the media is. And so everything that that happens in Springfield, everything that goes wrong is magnified. And so right now the biggest problem that Springfield has is it there's just this perception that it's not a nice place to live and that it's dangerous.
1: Yeah.
0: And you know, I'll talk later about what I think about those perceptions. But I think the issue is, you know, we've lost, I, to name the things that used to be manufactured in Springfield is, you know, sort of a who's who or a what's what of consumer products. You know, if you ever played basketball with a Spalding basketball, yeah, that was from Springfield. You know, if the, the very first American-made car was made here, and the only American-made Rolls Royces were mm-hmm. made here.
1: Okay, wow.
0: Diamond Matches were produced here, Milton Bradley toys. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's scratching the surface, but now most of those manufacturing concerns are gone. Sure. You know, Smith and Wesson is probably, uh, in terms of manufacturing is the city's largest employer. Uh, there's also the mass mutual life insurance company, which is actually the largest corporation headquartered in the entire state of Massachusetts. Um, it, um, employees, five or 6,000 people, and Bay State Medical Center, which is the largest hospital in the region, employs five or 6,000 people. Yeah. And there are four colleges here. But apart from that, you know, you're talking about an industrial base and a commercial base and a residential base. Springfield's nickname was the City of Homes. So it was also a place to live. But what's happened is... If you take the, the house where my parents lived in 1970, which, you know, whatever the value was then was roughly equivalent to the value of a suburban home in, say, East Long Meadow, a neighboring suburb. Okay. And now, you know, the, the home in East Long Meadow is worth five times sure. or six times sure. what the home in Springfield is. So it's a, it's a city that's, that's struggling a few years ago, uh, 10 years ago, uh, the city's finances. Were put under the control of a financial control board by the state. Okay. So our elected representatives no longer had control of the finances. Wow. Because we were we were slipping into insolvency, and even right now, last weekend it was published in the paper that of all of the pension funds in the state of Massachusetts, Springfield's is the the worst funded. Sure. Twenty nine percent. Wow. So that's I mean that's where we are. Okay. It's, it's a beautiful place. I think it's a place that's great to live in, but the economy has not been good to us. Demographic shifts have not been good to us. And right now the perception is it's not a good place to be.
1: So in comes MGM uh, with right. a with a proposal uh, to not only build a casino there, but to do it in a way that uh, is kind of, I'd say... Um, you know, integrated into the community.
0: Describe yeah, what they're it, proposing. What was crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: What was crazy about that was there were two other casino proposals for the city, which were almost identical to the Palmer proposal, only in Springfield. Sure. It was going, there were going to be pods. They were going to be off the interstate, and they were going to be isolated from the rest of the city. And I actually went to the the sort of the grand presentation of MGM's proposal and I expected it to be essentially a lot of smoke and mirrors but the same old thing. Right. They wanted to. They were going to want to build a huge pod in the middle of the city and isolate it from the city as best they could so that people coming in from the suburbs would feel safe, you know, leave their money and go. But then I actually looked at the development and I think you would say if you didn't know that it was a casino development, you would say that DPZ designed it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you sent you know, it to it, me,
1: and I I clicked on you know I, I'm I'm thinking what is this like uh, like like right. it's going to be and I clicked on it and my immediately thought was wow this is uh, this is really nice and as I dug into it deeper uh, I mean yeah the the I mean just the veneer of it is on its service is just gorgeous. I mean, yeah, it's DPZ style of material. There's no question.
0: And the design is exactly what you'd want. It is, if I, if they had said to me, let's take a random person from the audience, you design a casino for downtown Springfield. (laughs) This is what I would have asked them to do. And I would have assumed that after laughing at me, they would have escorted me out of the building. right? Because what what they want to do, is, first of all, they want to make it the opposite of the big block casino. It's actually broken up into the street grid of the existing city. So they're going to restore an office building at the corner of state and Maine, which is the 100% location, as they say, of downtown Springfield. And that's going to be where the corporate offices are.
1: This is the Mass Mutual building? building?
0: This is the old, right. This is the original Mass Mutual tower. Yeah. And what they're going to do is in this area just to the south where a tornado hit two years ago, and so just a huge swath of land was opened up. Just giant, giant, you know, parcels for a city like Springfield and what they, what they've decided to do or what they propose to do is to build within that, take the existing street structure and put in 140,000 square feet of retail space, a movie theater, a bowling alley, and it's all going to be permeable to the street. And I've said to people as big a risk as Springfield is taking on MGM, given Springfield's reputation, which I don't think it deserved, but right. given the reputation, they're taking just as big a chance sure. on the city of Springfield. Because if if the experience that they're hoping is going to attract people away from the suburban casinos in Connecticut
1: is going to be this
0: different urban experience, it has to be pleasant. And they realize they're, the storefronts, the retail... Is going to front on Springfield's Main Street, and across the street from the development, and down the street from the development, and up the street from the development is all out of their control. Right. And and as a matter of fact, the moment you step out the door from one of their stores, you're going to be in the public realm. And I found that I found that amazing yeah. and truly unique. Yeah. And apart from that, they they're not building. Within this structure, they're not building an entertainment venue, not one. Mm-hmm. If, so, you know, casinos are famous for bringing in concerts, for bringing in MGM in particular. I guess is, I guess MGM actually is Cirque du Soleil. Oh yeah, and they have they have um, they do Blue the big Man fights and, and they do. Oh they, yeah, totally. You know, right? And so they're, but they're not going to build an arena. They're not even going to build an auditorium. The city already has an 8,000-seat arena that's a block away. The the Symphony Hall is two blocks away. And what they've committed to doing is to bringing those acts to those places. And people are going to have to. They're going to be obligated to actually, you know, not just leave the casino, but walk along the streets of the city to go to Cirque du Soleil. And then they're going to have to walk back. They're going to have to walk through... Court Square. They're going to have to walk along Main Street. If it's a theater production at City Stage, they're going to have to walk two or three blocks along Main Street to get back to MGM. So, I I, to me, it's what I want. And if again, you'll forgive me for uh, for channeling James Howard Kunstler. That's good. But uh, I don't know if you if you listen to the Kunstler cast Uh, every week. (laughs) <laughs> right, Exactly. Yeah. And I remember way back when it started, he was having a, a conversation with Duncan Crary about something that was being built in Saratoga Springs. And it might have been a tattoo parlor that ended up there. And you know how Jim feels about that. right? And, and he was essentially saying, you know what, But the design of the building is good and the programming can change. I look at this MGM proposal and I say to myself, if MGM were to go belly up, and the casino were to close on day two, that's okay. Yeah. Because this is not just a single-use pod in the middle of nowhere where, you know, if, if you think about the Palmer proposal, if McGregor's son were to go bankrupt, I mean, I don't think they're going to, but what would you do out there with, you know, half a million square feet of stuff? Right. What's the demand going to be? Right. Here in Springfield, this proposal would actually be 18 or so storefronts on Main Street. Oh, and I forgot to mention, it actually includes 54 apartments, <laughs> like yeah. market-rate apartments. The design is such on Main Street that you've got retail at the ground floor, commercial on the second floor, and then residential above. It. Yeah. You know, if, if, again, leaving a casino aside, if somebody asked me as a resident of the downtown, what would I want to see along that stretch of Main Street? That's exactly what I would say. Right. i have missed. if there's one thing I've always wanted to be able to do while living downtown for the last 30 years, it's to be able to walk to a movie. You know, I mean, it's great to go to the symphony. It's great to go to a hockey game. You know, but sometimes it's a Wednesday night. You just want to go see a movie and get something to eat.
1: Right, right.
0: And, and there hasn't been a movie theater downtown. Since I moved here 30 years ago, yeah, and and they're going to put in 12 movie theaters. <laughs> and again, I say to myself, if the casino closes down day two, if the movie theater is still there, I'm going to be happy. Right. And if they close the movie theater, well, you know, there's the infrastructure there to put a movie theater right, <laughs> or to, right. or for someone to buy it yeah. and to show movies. I mean, so the risk is—I wouldn't say that it's. It's nothing, but it's diminished if you compare it to, you know, the sort of huge pod development out in the greenfield.
1: Now, in order for these projects to be considered by the state, in order for the state to say, okay, well, we'll accept uh, MGM's application, the residents actually have to, the residents of the city that this is going to be in actually have to vote to approve it. So you guys had right. your you guys had your election, your vote there. Uh the result was
0: uh it passed with about 58% approval. Okay. Okay. And what passed was not just okay, we'll we'll take it. The mayor had to negotiate a host agreement with MGM and what was ratified was that specific agreement. And another thing that needs to be understood is MGM can't, once they're selected, let's say, scale this down. Okay.
1: They
0: can say, oh, you know what? We're just going to put up the casino. Yeah, the 54 apartments, the retail at the ground floor on Main Street, the movie theaters, those are all nice ideas, but you know what? We can't afford it, so we're just putting up the casino and the hotel and the parking garage. Um, they can't do that. You know, they're they're actually obligated to either follow through on the entire thing or they can't do it at all so the voters were presented with that and they approved it i'll say this you know mgm spent at least a million dollars on the campaign sure and the opponents spent about five thousand dollars
1: okay right right let me ask you And if
0: i were on the Sure. If I were on the other side, yeah. I'd be saying, you know, you see, well, how could we compete with that?
1: Right, right. I,
0: I happen to think that all things considered, it's a good idea, Yeah, but I still can, I still, I have to be honest with myself and admit that, you know, the truth is the other side didn't really have much of an opportunity to present their case. L-
1: let me ask but you, let me ask you this. The the other side, the side that was the the 42% that was against this, uh beyond just we don't like gambling and we think gambling might be immoral and we think it's bad for our, our local society here. Were there actual concerns they had with the layout and the design as it was proposed? Uh, Or, you know,
0: was that, you know, that, yeah, Yeah. that's interesting. That's interesting because what I found was the, the first one, the primary one to me Showed a fundamental understanding of how a misunderstanding of how cities work. Okay, and that was they were concerned about the traffic. Yeah. No, what's what's interesting? Seriously, about that, the, the
1: opposition it, group was concerned about the traffic. That's what they were worried
0: about. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> okay. and yet yeah, they said they said two things. Yeah. yeah. They said two things, which was essentially no one's going to go to a casino in Springfield, and the traffic will be horrible. <laughs> you know, right. so it isn't going to work, and all the people not going are going to clog the streets, right? And and the thing is, I'm not kidding. They they came out with an eight point anti casino plan, and those are two of them. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they I don't think they noticed the contradiction. But to say that again, you get this. I know if anyone gets this, you get sure. This. Depending on whose estimates you look at, a hundred thousand cars go by that the spot where the casino is going to be every day. Yeah. And the increase in automobile traffic is going to be negligible. Sure. And the truth is these streets were built and designed when not only did more people live in the city, but more people lived in the downtown and worked in the downtown. So we have the capacity here. Now in Palmer again where you're talking about an exit to Mass Pike Where you know normally you have one toll taker and there are only two lanes, you know this is a situation where we we want more traffic. If there's one thing we need in downtown Springfield, it's more people. I I hate cars. Right. I wish more people would come here, um, or would would come here and live and walk. But the bottom line is, is we want there to be more people in the downtown. So I don't. I think for them it was just they were sort of grasping at straws. And if I could, Chuck, I think there's one huge Please. issue that we haven't discussed that in comparing the two. Okay. Um, the anti casino people said that the promises um, of jobs were inflated, both in their number and in terms of the salaries that the casinos are going to pay. Sure. And they said, you know. Most of the jobs, and by this I think they mean the mode, you know, most of the jobs are going to pay around twenty thousand dollars a year. Well, first of all, in my neighborhood, that is five or six thousand dollars more than the median family income. (laughs) So, sure. So, so seriously, that's still not a bad job, and and it includes benefits. But the other thing is, a casino in the middle of downtown Springfield um, is a place that the, by their estimates, again, by the, by the no on the casino question people, the 1,500 people that are going to be working at this casino and only making $20,000 a year, they're going to be able to get here by bus. Right. Every single bus route in the greater Springfield area comes into a hub two blocks away from where this casino is proposed to be built. So exactly the kind of people who are going to take those jobs and who frankly need those jobs. I'm not going to quit my job to take one of those. Right. You know. But for someone who is going to take a job making twenty thousand dollars a year and think, Yes, this is just what I've been looking for, they now don't have to spend six or seven thousand dollars a year on a car. So if they if they put this project in Palmer, there aren't enough people in Palmer to fill those fifteen hundred a year positions. So the people from Springfield and from Holyoke and Chicopee and the other, you know, the the poorer people from the urban, you know, locations, they're now 10 miles away from where the jobs are going to be. And there's no public transportation to get there. And the only way to get there is going to be by car. And that's going to make even less. Of the Of what money does come into the community through the casino development available to spread through the economy, and I know you understand the velocity of money, yeah yeah, and the fact that we need as much of that money that does go into salaries and does go into wages to stay in the community and to move around the community right. You know, and, and cars just aren't the way to do that. No. That, and, this, and you're talking about taking a public transportation system and increasing the usage thereof, which just might mean that they'll add routes and buses will come by more often, and that's going to be a benefit to everyone who lives in the city.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Just so makes, that's, that's another huge difference between the two proposals. It's like, yes, not everyone that works at the casino is going to make $100,000 a year. You know, almost no one will. Right. but the fact is, if it's coming anyway, and the people that are going to be working there are going to be what we call the working poor, it's going to be better for those people to be able to walk to their job or take a bus to their job than to have to buy a car and drive to their job
1: How much of this the revenue uh will end up in the city's coffers in other words you know you you've got the the mayor negotiating this agreement and you've got a uh you know a um the jobs certainly that will be created. But in terms, I mean, does the city get going to get property tax revenue from this? Are they going to get a share of the uh, of the gaming revenues? Is there any like direct? They're getting a flat fee. Okay. They're getting...
0: they're getting a flat fee. $26 million.
1: Yeah.
0: The number that's finally arrived at when you look at the host agreement. Okay. And that's about, that would be about 5% of the city's revenue. And right now, and, the, and this is so strong, sounds, Yeah. Right now, the city gets approximately six hundred thousand dollars from that footprint.
1: Okay.
0: Wow. And that's going to go from six hundred thousand dollars to twenty-five to twenty-six million dollars anu- annually. Annually. Okay. And that's a commitment. It's not a percentage of the take. Yeah. If MGM does really well, it's 26 million. If they do poorly, it's 26 million.
1: Right, right. Is there? And I there mean, are other do, do people have uh, like you know glassy eyed about what they're going to do with this? I suppose it's it, it's not game changing. You, know, you know, for Palmer, this is this would be a completely different city. Uh, you're talking about an incremental change. You know, five percent of the budget. That, that's nothing to sneeze at. But you know, you're not going to pave every road in gold now. Uh, is there no?
0: And I think, I think there's no doubt that that the city leaders, the mayor in particular, is. Um, and I apologize for my voice.
1: You're I, fine. I, uh, <clears throat> your, your voice fine. I'm kind
0: of a cold here. I'm actually going to puberty. It's kind <laughs> of a embarrassing. Thing. But uh, that that Brady Bunch episode is one of my favorites. <laughs> when it's time to change, anyway. Um, the mayor, I think, is using this as leverage. He included, for example, four million dollars. Of the 15 million that MGM is going to give the city, if it's awarded the, uh, if it's awarded the Western Mass Casino, uh, the mayor's already taken four million of that and put it in this year's budget. Sure. And said, and basically said, if we don't get it, we're going to have to make
1: four million, $4 million and cuts. cuts. Yeah, that,
0: that <laughs> and, and you know, and that is, you know, that is what it is. That's politics. Right. Um, Right. But I think in in the end I think the the state is going to I think is going to look at just what you said. The truth is Springfield is it's a struggling community and it's you know it's the third largest city in Massachusetts but it's really the second largest. I mean what I know is I like that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it does because Worcester is really just Worcester. So sure. Worcester's got maybe 15,000, 20,000 more people than the city of Springfield. But Greater Worcester is much smaller than Greater Springfield. Springfield sure. is a tiny city. It's only 33 square miles. Sure. So, you know, it's about half the size of, say, St. Paul or uh, Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, in terms of its geography. Um, but when you, when you add Holyoke and Chicopee and Westfield and West Springfield, you know, the metropolitan area, as the federal government looks at it, is 700,000 people. And at the core of that, you've got a city that, you know borders on insolvent and i think the state sees that 25 million dollars guaranteed a year and the possibility of this development being the catalyst to the city really exploding in terms of its popularity and um, get understand that the neighborhood that it's going into is and i, I mean the reason i live a block away and I've, you know, I've lived right here for five years, and I've lived in the neighborhood for most of the last 30, is because this is as walkable and as traditional a neighborhood as there is in the region.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, the little Italian shops, you know. Yeah, yeah. The cafes. It, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's such an odd quirky place. Someday you've got to get here. I would love it. I really I want to show you around. And what you'll see is like, the most amazing little streets, and then you'll go one street down and, you know, horrible poverty, houses boarded up. Sure. Um, you know, and, and the idea is this is a place where if this can be the catalyst, then the growth here can be exponential. Because this is just the kind of place that everyone says they want to live. It's just that everybody's waiting for someone else to move here. Right. You know, right. To, make it, to make it viable. And then they'll move in. And I, and I get that, but I think that, that's really what the state is looking at. The 5% a year bump in the city budget is going to be helpful, but like you said, not a game changer. But I think what, what the state's been trying to do for the last 20 years, 30 years, is make, make make Springfield successful. I mean, you look at Boston, and it's one of the world's great cities. Yes. And then you look at some of the other... That are called gateway cities here in Massachusetts, and they're struggling. And I think state officials are trying to figure out how to lure people to these places that really, in a lot of ways, have just as much to offer, if at a different scale, as Boston. But you know, people aren't seeing it. I think mean, they're trying to break through. They're trying to reach critical mass. I think that's the. I think that for Springfield is really the decisive factor. That's what people are looking for here more than just. You know, a, a few million dollars in revenue
1: within you know walking distance of your place is—is is there a lot of underutilized capacity that people could, you know, people who wanted to live down there could move into, or developers could you know mature and uh, and get new people living down there?
0: Um, you mean apart from the the vacant mansion across the street from my house and the <laughs> seminary that the Springfield Preservation Trust is trying to turn into a six condominiums across the street? Yeah, yeah. No, that would be. I mean, it, you, could, you could increase the population of the city by 50 or 60 million people. I'm 50,000, 60,000 people. And <laughs> it really It wouldn't change you know, the city and the infrastructure and what's here. I mean, what's here was built for what people assumed was going to be 200,000, 210, 220,000 people. And right now, again, I'm literally staring out the window at two gorgeous vacant buildings. Yeah. And just down the street from me, there are six Victorian row houses in a row, mostly vacant, in horrible disrepair. And apart from that, you know, the movement in the last 50 years to mimic the suburbs and to tear down buildings and put up parking lots so that people have places to park. I actually did this in preparation for this podcast. I'm looking, yeah. out, I'm looking at another window. Okay. There are nine surface parking lots I'm staring at right now. Oh, geez. Three of them are completely empty. You know, because at any given time, yeah. at least half of them are empty because, or around half of them are empty because, you know, when people are at work, yeah. the residential ones are empty. When people right. you know, are at home, the commercial ones are empty, but almost all of Union Street. And, just, and listen to that name in Massachusetts.
1: Yeah, you yeah. can imagine
0: the significance that Union Street is supposed to have. Yeah, there is nothing but surface parking from my house to Main Street, and it's underutilized. And there's, you know, I'm sure you could tell me the exact number, but I'm sure there are. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of infrastructure there, oh, totally. and they're getting absolutely nothing from it. I mean, it yes, yeah. like the answer to your question, yeah, Jeff, yeah. is yes. Well, that there gives me so some, much here.
1: That gives me some hope. You know, the the video that your daughter uh, shared with us that we were able to, to post on the Sid TV site um, that was there was a there was a part of that that was almost like gut wrenching because she showed this gorgeous church. Uh, and then said, oh, and today it's a surface parking lot. And, oh, my gosh, uh, that was one of those kind of heartbreaking moments. Like, you've got to be kidding me.
0: Well, it, it's even more heartbreaking than that because it's <clears> – <throat> see, I'm tearing up. It <laughs> it was, you know, the – you know, after Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah. who I blame you Midwesterners for. That's fine. Um, we'll take it. The, the number two architect of the 19th century in the United States was H.H. H. Richardson. Okay. That church was the very first thing that he designed and was built. Yeah. Now, if you go to St. Louis, yeah. if you go to Chicago, if you go to any of the major cities of the Northeast or the Midwest, some of the buildings that are the most iconic, are the buildings built by Richardson, the Richardson-Romanesque or Railroad-Romanesque. At one point, Springfield had seven buildings designed by Richardson. There are now two and a wall. Wow. There's one wall that was part of the uh, train station that he designed that's still there and still beautiful. And there's one church and a courthouse. So, I mean, it's it's not just that we've torn down beautiful buildings, it's that we've torn down beautiful buildings that are part of the history, of, part of the architectural history of this country. And and what's amazing is we still have so much left. If you look at the if you watch that video, um, that video that my daughter made was inspired by another video that was posted on uh, See It Differently TV yeah. about a library and parking. Yeah, And I mean, no disrespect to the people of that community, but... <laughs> Did you see the library in My Daughter's video?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's I mean, it's astounding. Yeah. It's yeah. one of
0: the most, I, I would say, there's no more beautiful library anywhere in the world. Yeah. There may be an equally beautiful library, but there's no more beautiful library. Sure. And that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of stuff that we do still have, these incredible city, beautiful buildings. But we've torn down just a few weeks ago, I actually I was working for the Springfield Preservation Trust. I wrote to Massachusetts Preservation Preservation, Massachusetts, and I got this mansion placed on the uh, ten most endangered list, and the local Catholic Church said, it's not endangered. we have no plans of tearing it down. That's crazy. Well, it got torn down three weeks ago. Oh jeez, uh, um, you know yeah, they just yeah. said basically what they did is they let it rot. They let it rot for twenty years, thirty years, and then said, "Well, you know, it's, at this point, it would be too expensive to fix it up." It's like, "Yeah, because you let it rot." But there's another building. If you if you lived in Springfield, when you got to a certain intersection and you turned to go up Carew Street, it was just you wanted to take that trip just to see that as you went around the
1: corner. Right,
0: and it's gone, and so this it's still part of the fight, and and. Some of the people are concerned because this MGM plan does involve tearing down some older buildings, but it also involves restoring four, including the First Spiritualist Church, which, if you can imagine, is a church where Frederick Douglass actually spoke. Wow. You know, and yeah, these, yeah. Are, these are buildings that if we just let the city decay,
1: yeah.
0: then it, just like the Alice Mansion was torn down a few weeks ago, all these buildings are going to be torn down because if we're not economically viable then there, there's not going to be the, the the critical mass to restore them amen and so it, it does reach a point where you you can't just be an idealist anymore you have to say what can we do as a practical matter to to take the demand and boost it i mean to give you an idea chuck i live in uh beautiful 1870s, you know, French second empire townhouse that I paid $90,000 for. And my real estate agent told me I overpaid by at least 20 grand. (laughs) Okay. You know, so this is, this is the kind of thing you can move here today for, you know, one fifth, one seventh of what it takes in a lot of the United States to live a normal middle class lifestyle. Sure. Wow. Wow.
1: Talk to us in in the couple moments we got left here. why don't you um, why don't you tell people about rational urbanism? You, you have a, a website rationalurbanism.com. a uh, lot of great stuff on there what uh, what What's your thought behind the the work that you're doing and, and trying to share with people through that place
0: it It really is pretty simple Chuck. It's It's part of what you're doing. I think what what you're doing is you're saying to people, we've got to take these places that we're designing and developing in this country and we need to do a better job so that they're economically viable. And what I'm saying is there are already places that were designed correctly and you can move to these places now. You don't, you don't have to wait for suburbia to be redesigned. You can move back to the city and the main the main focus of most of of what I write on my blog has to do with the misperceptions about two things: education and safety. I think the main reason most families don't move to cities, and I'll say, you know, and again, this is I'm talking about Springfield, but I think this is true of Rochester and Syracuse and Hartford, and I'm sure you know you could tell me some cities in the Midwest totally. that are probably identical to this, where just for the most part, most middle-class people of means who have a choice, even if they like city living, they've been to Europe and they think it's great, they're going to say, yeah, but that's not something you can really do in Duluth, right. or that's not something you can really do you know, in this particular place. Well, yeah. what I try to point out, and the thing is it's not just motivated reasoning. It's I show people the statistics, and I also give them the stories from my life where I point out that One, the schools in cities are actually not bad. They're not. What's bad, and I say this lovingly, are the students that attend the city schools. What the statistics show is that the let me this is now what happens is this when people choose a place to live and they're thinking about their children and schools. Right. They look at. Standardized test scores, among other things. And they say, wow, look at the scores in that really, really rich suburb. That's got to be a great school. We're going to do what it takes, and we're going to pay whatever it costs to get our kid into those schools because they're great schools. But the truth is, and I know you've read Freakonomics. Yeah. um, So if you just look at the chapter in Freakonomics on this, um, basically what it tells you is that people are confusing cause and effect. The truth is the single, the factor that has the greatest impact on students' test scores is parental income. We don't want that to be true. Right. We don't want that to be the case. We want to live in some kind of a Horatio Alger world where everything's fair and everything's equal. But it's not. So the truth is the, the people of means move into wealthy communities. They send their kids to these schools, and the schools look good because the students are good. Right. Right. And what happens is now that we've concentrated poverty in cities and poverty is, you know, negatively correlated to educational success. Yeah. The standardized test scores in urban public schools look bad. Right. But when you do a thorough analysis, like say the Donahue Institute did of the MCAS uh, tests here in Massachusetts or fairtest.org or the guys from Preconomics or me You look at the statistics, and what you see is your kid will do just as well in a city school as a suburban school. The truth is the schools are much less important than we want them to be. And when I say that, Chuck, I'm a teacher. Yeah, yeah. But let me say that again. The schools just aren't as big a factor as we want them to be. So that's one. Right. And the other thing, let's face it, is safety. And I'd be the first one to admit that you just can't deny that. Here in in the United States, our urban locations have a problem with crime. Right. But the two we, we look at adolescence, for example, really that violence and crime aren't really big issues. Right. The when you look at and you know this it's such a hard thing to talk about. when you look at death. The truth is, traffic and suicide. <laughs> are really yeah that's two it two big issues especially when, when for you, kids when you talk about yeah. adolescence. yeah yeah and in with both of those those are um, negatively correlated to density which means the further you live and the further your child lives from an urban center the more likely they are to die in a traffic accident right and the more likely they are to commit suicide right and you know i don't say that with any glee but it's simply the case that most violent death, among young people especially, has to do with behavior. And yet, traffic death and suicide relate much more to where you live. And so I, what I'm saying, and Chuck, this is just like your Taco John's yeah. traditional development thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where if if I were to say to you, you know why you need to move to the city? Because your kids will be safer. <laughs> right. People look at me like I have three heads. Yeah, but the truth is, it's simply statistically true. Right. You can you cannot like it as much as you want, but all of the numbers are there, and what they say is, yeah, you know, you you are more likely possibly to be a, a you know a Uh, a random passerby that gets hit by a bullet in a drug deal gone bad in downtown Springfield than you are, you know, in the woods in Palmer.
1: Right.
0: But the fact is, in either case, it's very unlikely to happen. Right. But traffic accidents happen all the time, and you get that paradox. We're here in Massachusetts. We're a very urban state. We have more accidents per vehicle mile than any state in the union, but we also have the fewest, fewest deaths per vehicle mile. Sure, sure. So, you know, when you live in a city, you get in an accident, but you don't die. Right. If you live in a rural area, if you live in an exurb, the truth is your kids are at risk. Yeah. And, you know, and and that's what I'm trying to say to people is that, and this isn't just about knocking down suburbs or exurbs. If people want to live there, that's great. But what I'm talking about is I think that there, there are a lot of people who want to move to cities today want to live in walkable communities today but they're afraid to do it because they think they're doing their children a disservice in terms of education and in terms of safety right and i'm here to say they're not i've raised two daughters they went to the springfield public schools they attended one of only two high schools that were considered failing in all of western massachusetts (laughs) yeah uh my oldest daughter got the most generous merit academic merit scholarship that smith college awards okay and and not only did I, I didn't have to pay a nickel of tuition or fees or wow, anything. Wow! Yeah, and yeah. my youngest daughter earned the Abigail Adams scholarship, also a merit scholarship based on how well you do on the MCAS exam, the Massachusetts statewide exam. And so the bottom line is I have two daughters who've gone to college and I've never paid a nickel of tuition. And the education that they received was exclusively given to them by the teachers of the Springfield Public Schools. Awesome. And so it's not just that the statistics say that your kids will get a good education. I've lived it. I've done it. And I think if you want to raise your child in a city, you can do it today, even in the places where people think you're nuts to do it, even in Rochester and Syracuse and Bridgeport and Worcester.
1: Well, this is why I wanted to chat with you because, you know, you you sent me this stuff in the casino and I'm always fascinated with, uh, you know, things that question my kind of core assumptions. Uh, It's uh, just the innate curiosity of, okay, I I didn't think it would go this way. I I would love to, and we should probably plan this uh, in the coming uh, months, to do another podcast here where we can go through some of those things too because I – I think it would be helpful for people to hear your experiences with the urban schools and the urban crime and you know, pull some of that, uh, that narrative that you've put on your blog and have a conversation about it to, to challenge some of those assumptions that people have. I think that would be awesome.
0: Well, I got to tell you, Chuck, I'm pretty reluctant to talk. You
1: can tell. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm generally like most New Englanders, taciturn.
1: Right, right.
0: But yeah. if you if you insist,
1: if I if I twist you know, your arm,
0: then what's the what maybe if you twist my arm, maybe you know I'll come back and and talk a little bit more about uh, about rational urbanism and about Springfield. I know, again, with Taylor, the, the you know the the guy from Minnesota that's. Uh, yeah dating my daughter yeah, yeah. i know it's hard for me to get a word in edgewise with him i think <laughs> since i've known him since i've known him he may have said you know he he may have enunciated 20 thoughts <laughs> well and i gotta tell you i gotta yeah. tell you it's tough for you midwesterners because yeah, at yeah. first we think you're just not very bright
1: right right
0: no we're and just and then tough. it turns out you're just not obnoxious
1: right
0: <laughs> and we're just so we're just so used to obnoxious to give you an idea, you know, here in Massachusetts, I'm I'm considered normal.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're you're not obnoxious, as you're saying. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, right. I'm not. A, it, I don't seem obnoxious at all uh, to people in the Northeast.
1: That's funny. But it's
0: amazing how you know once I leave this cocoon. You know, I went to college in Utah.
1: Okay. Oh yeah. Oh
0: my, yeah. Oh my gosh, did, did those people think I was here?
1: <laughs> now, your daughter, the one that I was able to interact with, her name is Zila. Is that how you say that? It's Shayla. Shayla. I actually, Shayla. I, I lived
0: in Spain for a few years, and yeah. I met a family from Guatemala. because, okay. you know who wouldn't? Right. <laughs> and I saw the name. Yeah. Their daughter was named Shayla. X E L A. Yeah. And it's it's a nickname for the city called I think Quetzaltenango. Okay. And it means something like under the ten gods. It's a it's a city surrounded by ten volcanoes. Okay. And I just said to myself, that is that's a, the coolest that's a and most name. beautiful name. It, I, you and know so what? I, said, I totally agree with Shayla. you. Shayla
1: yeah um, she is a bright kid. Is that the younger of your two? She's the older one. she's the older one man she's a she's a sharp kid. that's uh you, you uh you've uh you've convinced me that urban schools work
0: Well, hey, thank you. I mean, I think you know um I think she should take most of the credit. She's incredibly artistic and creative. She's also – got to tell you a quick Shayla story. Yeah. I was away when the big tornado hit two years ago, and um, Mackenzie, my younger daughter, who's a bit more practical, okay. uh, told me that as the, as the tornado started to rip through the south end, Shayla was gazing out the window – and was remarking to Mackenzie how beautiful it was. <laughs> and Ma- Mackenzie Mackenzie yelled, "Shayla, it's a tornado! Let's get in the basement!" Right,
1: right. <laughs> so, oh, you know, I, I think. Yeah, I it's, love that mind. <laughs> Good. Well, Stephen Chiltis, uh Steve, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. We'll have to do this again, okay?
0: Anytime, Jack. Anytime. Jack. Hey, thank you. You take care. <laughs> They know that America's one big pothole right now. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah!